Blog Talk Radio. Uh, on ESPN, 
Uh, that's actually tomorrow, 1.30 p.m. And, uh, I mean, I'm going to have to go with you here and see uh, if you think it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to have to disagree with you. For Southern Miss, and I it's not a great opportunity for those guys. Right now, uh, we're going to go to a commercial real quick, and uh, we're going to see what's going on here. We've got some technical difficulties. Trying to get the doctor to get here. Uh, let's break real quick uh, for a few minutes here and uh, try to figure out uh, the doc situation. We'll be right back with you.
by law, by world that has the scholarship given. They came in two of those games. Louisiana Monroe when they had to reschedule at the end of the year because of the hurricane. They're saying that that game shouldn't count up towards their bowl appearance. Now, they've been bringing it to that. It's kind of been kept quiet because obviously they can't change it now. They can't they can't change the theme and team has a schedule for a practice for a bowl game. But I've, I've noticed it's kind of been swept under the rug a bit. No one wants to really talk about us. What do you think about that, dude? Yeah, I saw that. It was from Reddit, which is a uh, kind of a uh, underground um, chat room, and someone did some research and figured that out. But, but I've heard subsequently that they've come out and said that so that in fact is not true. And, and the, uh, the FCF school that they played was it Delaware State or something? But I think it's unfortunate because what it's just because an actual mistake on someone's part. And that team, unfortunately, got the shaft in this situation. Um, so I, I think it's going to be unfortunate when they do do the finish the investigation on this and they find that Florida State did indeed not deserve to be in there. Um, that, uh, yeah, no, I mean, the schools such as um, uh, Buffalo, I think that they have an argument that they should have been there. The knowledge, the most recent information is that they, in fact, do qualify, and, and I think it's a non issue. So, moving on, we're going to go ahead and let's get to our next game before that's coming up. And that's obviously the one that everyone's anticipating on January 1st.
we can uh, see if we can get this thing moving here. It's uh, 7:26. We apologize for all the technical difficulties. It's been a very, 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 very bad show so far. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can get this all fixed up pretty quickly here. Um, I don't know if you guys can hear anything now, uh, but I'm 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 on here and I'm I'm going live here. So we'll see. Uh, we can't get the doc in. Doc, how, how are you looking over there? That? The doc. And it seems like we're we're good to go. Um, see uh, see how long we got. Seven twenty six. We got Chris Boyle on the show coming soon. We apologize again for all the delays. Uh, I guess we might as well plug the sponsor while we're here. Uh, uh, in Daytona Beach, Florida, on International Speedway Boulevard, um, overlooking the track actually over here in um, in Daytona, beautiful Daytona Beach. Uh, let me. Uh, Hooligans in Daytona Beach, uh, located uh, located at National Speedway Boulevard, open from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. Producers are yelling at me here. Hooligans again located 725 West International Speedway Boulevard, Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, right across the Speedway in the Volusia County Hall, home of the Wally Wings. If you're ever in town, I suggest you stop by here and uh, have a Wally Wing. It's pretty well known and world renowned, if you will. Uh, we actually look for there. Sam, maybe? Let's see what's going on here with the dock here. It's technical difficulty. Uh, we're going to have Chris Boyle on here. Recruiting. Looks like the doc is getting frustrated and probably want to. And uh, from there, we're going to uh, talk to Chris Boyle, see what he has to say in regards to uh, high school recruiting and uh, college uh, college recruiting going forward. Uh, talk about some of the local guys in Daytona Beach, Florida here uh, who had an opportunity to sign uh, this past week at the early signing day. And also talk about the guys who are going to be moving uh, in February. Uh, let me try and get this to uh, the doc one more time. All right, let's see here. Got the doc an invitation to this thing one more time. And actually the doc is going to uh, if not, he we're gonna figure this out. Some uh, refreshing happening. Uh, we'll find out what's going on here shortly. We have all the families in town. Doc came in. was very nice. Fortunately, the remote. Is not going to be going too too well at this point. We'll get there. Doc might have an issue with his email account there. I, 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 I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, uh, but I've sent I've sent Doc an invitation. 7:30 p.m. Uh, we got Chris Boyle going to be coming on uh, from the Daytona Beach News Journal shortly. Hopefully, he'll be calling in. 
um, so we could talk to him and we could talk to him. And uh, let's see here. Doc, anything? Doc is going to call in here shortly. So, technical, technical difficulties here going on. There's three and out show today. Um, still to come, we've got Chris Cole, uh, the Daytona Journal, who's a sports writer, uh, to talk about sports. Also, Kali Williams, uh, 2016 SOCOM Player of the Year. Citadel, also first team conference defensive back, uh, 2016-2017. And uh, from there, we have Tasso Kiriakis, owner of Bodies by Tasso, to talk about uh, neck injuries, preventing them, uh, the rules, and, and also concussions uh, in regard to that. So we got a lot coming to you in the next few hours. Here. And um, what we're going to start off here is hopefully the doc's going to be calling in here shortly. We're going we're to get the doc on here because you know, he, he loves to leave me here in the wind all by myself. Looks like the doc is calling in now. And uh, let's see, Doc, we got you here finally. Yeah, I can hear you. You guys can hear me. Oh yeah, we can hear you now, definitely. The old, the, the, the old road show is not going too well right now, but that's all right. We'll make it through. Okay, looks like you got a caller coming. Calling Chris Boyle. Doc, you ready for Chris? Yeah. Make sure you get the mic close to you there, Sam. It's cutting in and out, bud. I mean, I'm almost feeding it. Let's to go live here. Chris, how you doing? This is Sammy G and the Doc from 3 and Out. We appreciate you being on the show. Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How about yourself? Doing wonderful. I appreciate hey, Chris, it. Thank, thank you for being on here. We're uh, having a little bit of technical difficulties, doing a little uh, live uh, on, 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 you know, uh, over at Hull again, so bear with us a little bit, but thanks for being with us. We got Chris Boyle from the media channel, he's uh, in charge of high school prep sports as well as some recruiting and inclusive sports, is that correct? Yeah, we cover uh, high school sports primarily, uh, football recruiting, and then we cover the local colleges as well. We got uh, Bethune-Cookman University, Stetson University, and then uh, uh, to a smaller degree, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University and Daytona State College for basketball primarily. Uh, you, you're 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 all over you're all over the place, uh, Chris. Good job, man. Yeah, you're, it sounds sounds like you're doing a lot of the work over there. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have four guys that primarily do the day to day work. Uh, definitely part of a cohesive unit. We got a, a couple of guys that do NASCAR with uh, Ken Willis and Godwin Kelly. They're Daytona institutions at this point, and uh, Zach Dean helps out with the high school and. And college coverage as well does a, does a really good job as a, as a feature writer for us right now. Then uh, he's been a, a huge help since he's come on since uh, coming up from Vero Beach. That's great. Hey, listen, Chris. Just so you know, we're we're live over here at Hooligans in Daytona Beach. So if I get we get a little bit of noise, it's a, there's a there's a lot of crowd, a lot of people in here tonight. So we apologize for that, but we definitely want to say thank you for being on the show again. Uh, Doc, did you have some questions for uh, for Chris? Yeah, Chris, let's start out with recruiting. You know, we're a college football-based program, and we focus on the state of Florida schools. So, um, you know, can you give us your year kind of a 30,000-foot view of, of how the, uh, you know, Florida, Florida State, Miami, even UCF to some extent, how the schools do in the early signing period? 
um, but your fan the early signing period and, and kind of what was left uh, in February. Yeah, I mean, let's start with Miami. They get the benefit of having the, the coaching staff roll over. I think that's the huge uh, advantage that they've got. Um, Mark Richt and that staff has done a fantastic job. They have a, a top ten recruiting class according to 247 Sports, um, Rivals, ESPN. They're all in the top seven. Uh, the, the centerpiece for them is uh, Lorenzo Lingard, the running back from right here in Volusia County at Orange City University, ran for 1,701 yards, 26 touchdowns, uh, was the Gatorade Florida Player of the Year. Uh, terrific player, uh, 6'2", 190 pounds, uh, state hurdling champion. He's going to be the centerpiece of this class. They've got a lot of good talent. Uh, I really like Nesta Silvera, the defensive tackle from Plantation American Heritage as well. Uh, I think he's a, had a huge impact throughout the year. If I'm not mistaken, he returned a fumble for a touchdown in the 5A championship game. So he's been a, a huge addition to them as well. Um, Florida did really well given the circumstances. They were able to get the quarterback they wanted, Emory Jones. They were able to land John Huggins after he decommitted from Florida. Uh, right now they're sitting in the 15 to 20 range for the national rankings. Florida State's got some work to do, but they were able to, to really make some, some headway there in the last couple of days of the early signing window since Willie Taggart took over, especially in the secondary. You know, they've got some losses coming up with Derwin James moving on to the NFL. They're going to have graduation. Uh, but they were able to do a really nice job and get a few guys um, in the fold there late. They flipped the top safety, one of the top safety prospects in the nation, and Jaden Woodby from uh, California. They were able to sign Asante Samuel Jr., four-star recruit, uh, Isaiah Bolden from uh, Wesley Chapel out near Tampa, so they did a lot in a short amount of time. They'll, they'll be fine long-term. Uh, UCF has also got some work to do, given the fact that they changed staffs. Uh, Josh Heupel coming in. Randy Shannon, Shannon will eventually have his uh, his fingerprints kind of all over this with uh, the additions in South Florida. It started with Randy Charlton, the defensive end uh, from Miami Southridge, who was committed to Indiana and Florida International briefly before ultimately signing with UCF. And they were able to keep a couple of key players, Demetrius Mays, Eric Gilliard, a couple of players on the defensive side of the ball. They brought in five offensive linemen. Uh, so Glenn Ellerby, the, the new offensive line coach, will have his, uh, his pick of the litter there. So they'll, they'll be fine long-term, but right now the clear edge goes to Miami given the fact that they were able to, to keep some continuity on staff. And, and to USF as well, they've got more than 20 kids signed up already. I know, uh, Chris. I know you're a UCF grad, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? Yep. You're, you're a knight. Um, do you think I am, uh, one thing I, I wanted to ask? Built by UCF. <laughs> one thing I thought was interesting um, about Scott Frost was he took uh, Sean Becton with him to Nebraska. Sean has been a part of that UCF program for almost 20 years, and he was the lead recruiter um, for the state of Florida. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, he was a staple at UCF as well. Um, but Scott, I think, I think Coach Frost stole that. I mean, what a great steal to get Coach Becton to go to Nebraska. Obviously, it's a smart move because he knows he can't win with Nebraska guys. He's going to have to come down to Florida and, uh, and, and talk and, and come down to Florida and get some, you know, athletes to go to Nebraska. Uh, but who's going to take over that role now at UCF, do you think? Do you think it's going to be Randy Shannon? Do you, I'm curious to know who's going to now come in and, and be the guy in Florida to go and get these kids. Right. So 
Sean Beckton was their their key recruiter in Central Florida too. I mean, he would uh, he would be out in Daytona Beach area a lot. I saw him at the uh, state championship or not the state championship, but the state uh, regional semifinals with uh, at Mainland. He he he's a pretty regular guy around here, and he's been a part of that program for for more than two decades. So yeah, it's a big loss, but it's not just him that's going to Nebraska. It's literally every one of Scott Frost's assistants with. You know, with very limited exception, he's bringing 10 different guys with him to Nebraska. So this is a unique situation in which it's a, literally an entire overhaul of the staff. Uh, Randy Shannon, I think, is going to be the, the, the primary recruiter, certainly in South Florida. You know, he'll have a big imprint in this in this team, and they're going to really try to, to, to use some of those inroads he's built at, at some of these schools like the Northwesterns, the Centrals, the uh, the Southridges, the, the, you know, the Carroll Cities. They're going to try to get some of these kids to, to see UCF and see it for what it is now and, and what it could be. I think certainly he'll be the lead guy. And, you know, the staff has still got some question marks up in the air. There's still a few uh, a few guys left to go get and fill out the, the entire staff. But I do think that uh, Randy Shannon is going to be maybe the most prominent recruiter and Corey Bell as well, their, uh, their cornerbacks coach, who was also on the Gators staff last year. I think you'll see him uh, as a pretty central figure as well. Once again, everyone, you're listening to Block uh, 3 and out. Call in number is 657-383-1684. We're on with Chris Boyle of the Daytona Beach News Journal. Hey, Chris, it's the, uh, the doc here. What's, uh, I think like 70% of the players sign the early signing period. Do uh, you, you see any glaring uh, holes in some of the schools here that, that need to sign in the, in the spring? And, and do you see players that are available to, uh, to, to, to fill those holes for some of the, some of the schools that are out there? Well, it's hard to tell. I mean, right away, I think for, you know, for UCF, they wanted to address the offensive line, obviously. I mean, they, they went out and got five guys to fill. They, they're going to have some, uh, they have some more needs defensively that they want to accomplish as well. Most of their skill players offensively are going to come back. It wouldn't hurt to maybe add a, a wide receiver there. I think for Florida State, the quarterback position uh, was pretty obviously one of the one of the needs they felt that they needed to address with Emory Jones uh, and Justin Fields, two of their primary targets, picking other schools. Uh, for Florida, I think it's going to be about just identifying the, the right guys to fit Dan Mullen's offense, and so that starts. That's going to start up front. They're going to they're going to want to get the uh, the right skill position players. I think they they just flipped the uh, they just brought in the kid from um, Ohio State. The the kid that was there as a transfer who was at uh, Aquinas. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but they they were able to bring him on board. So I think you're going to see the skill positions a lot with Florida, and I do think uh, for for Florida State it's going to be about maybe finding the quarterback that Willie Taggart's going to want to roll with uh, in the future. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think you know Willie going to Florida State is a, is a great thing, and, and you know excited about being uh, you know he's going to have an opportunity. I, I think he's going to do well based on the fact he's been in Florida, he's recruited this area, and uh, I, I think he's going to do well when it comes to getting some guys there. I don't. A lot of people think that he's taking over a bad bad team. I don't. I don't know that he's taking over a bad team. I think he's got a lot of talent already there. I think he's just going to go there now and kind of fill in the holes. Don't you? Yeah, he's taking over a team that began the season ranked second in the AP poll. I mean, he's not taking over a bad team at all. Uh, he's taking over a team that had, 
just about everything badly happened that it could possibly happen. You lose DeAndre Francois, your starting quarterback, in the opening game of the season. You're playing a freshman in James Blackman, who you know, certainly wasn't expected to contribute right away this year. Um, you know, but you've got Cam Akers is going to be the centerpiece of the offense. You'll get the quarterback back next year. You know, whether Francois comes back fully healthy or whether Blackman does enough to, uh, to prove that he should be the guy going forward. You're going to lose uh, a couple of key players in, in Derwin James, maybe Jaquez Patrick uh, if he declares for the draft. Uh, same deal with Josh Sweat, the defensive end. But, you know, recruiting-wise, Florida State's never going to be in a, in a true period of, of, of missing out on top players. I mean, there's, the talent is always going to be at Florida State. Ladies it's and a gentlemen, great job no matter who's got it. Let, let me ask you, Chris, you know, there's a couple of local guys over at uh, Florida State, A.J. Jefferson, I believe, and, and uh, Cyrus Fagan. How, how do you think they're going to uh, help out uh, when it comes to Seminoles, when it comes to the Seminoles? Yeah, so A.J. So AJ Westbrook will be a senior next year, and he'll, he'll have a chance to start the entire year. He's been kind of a spot guy in the, uh, in the safety, filling in with uh, when Derwin James was hurt last year. He saw a pretty good number of reps this year. Fagan – was supposed to redshirt this year, and they burned his red shirt uh, due to injury concerns in the secondary. They, they lost a few guys uh, for the year, and he ended up having to play with about five games to go. So, uh, so he'll be a, he'll be a fixture going forward. If both of them will play safety, um, you know they, they play a lot of three, uh, they play a lot of five DB sets at Florida State. So you're going to see both those guys on the field a lot, and we'll see what they do with Demarcus Adams if he gets there. So. Uh, Demarcus Adams is a kid that's a, a track star uh, at, at Mainland High School right now. He's one of the top-rated receivers on their board. He's a U.S. Army All-American, and he uh, and even through the coaching change, he's been a, a commit to Florida State. He hasn't wavered in that at all. Uh, as long as he doesn't have a last-second change of heart, you can expect he'll be there next year too, and they might find a way to work him into some of these outer uh, stretch plays and, and let him go vertical as well. We, you talked a little about Miami being a winner, obviously uh, getting Lorenzo Lingard, uh, the uh, UL American, U.S. Army All-American and Gatorade Florida Player of the Year is obviously a big, big sign uh, for the University of Miami. Um, you know, Miami kind of ran out of gas this year. Do you think that was a youth thing, or do you think that they just weren't ready to go towards the end of the season? Um. It's it's hard to say, and it was really surprising how Mark Rick decided to handle the quarterback situation in the pit game. I think that they maybe, you know, maybe overplayed their hand there. But yeah, I, I think they wore down a little bit. I mean, they were kind of a team that that was so dependent on winning the turnover margin that once they lost it in those last couple of games, and they and they weren't able to take the football away, they really struggled. Uh, they weren't a team that was blowing guys, you know, blowing teams out of the water offensively. They were doing it, you know, defense first and uh, and, and scoring points when they could. You got to remember they lost Mark Walton, their best running back, in the beginning of the season too. So um, they're going to have two guys that are going to walk in the door and potentially be, you know, right away contributors next year in the run game with Lingard and with Cameron Davis too out of uh, Carroll City. Both of those guys are going to be able to to step right in potentially and be day one impact players for the, for the Canes. Chris, I know we have a couple of guys in the area who have uh, transferred to other high schools, a couple of high rate guys. What are your thoughts on that? Do you see any of these guys uh, 
know, making it making an impact and then maybe signing at the at, at schools maybe that they're not considering. I know there's a few guys who have left their their home schools and going to IMG and all these places. And uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, tra- the transfer game's hard. Uh, this is this is the the gray area of high school football because for certain kids, they're, they're trying to form relationships with the coaches. Realistically, it doesn't seem like in this area particularly the allegiance to school really means anything. So it's about the relationships built all the way down to the Pop Warner level uh, with some of these coaches, and they want to be able to be in the best position to get themselves to college. So you're going to see teams that are going to have kids that are going to transfer left and right. I mean, it's already starting at Atlantic. They hired D.J. Mayo, uh, who is a former head coach at Warner Christian, a former assistant in college, uh, and already two – of Spruce Creek players have said that they're going to go over to Atlantic next year, and that's going to be the uh, potentially the beginning, like the tip of the iceberg here. You know, I've never really been a, a big fan of the transfer game just because I feel like it, it creates a system in which only a select few teams are able to really do anything, and it ends up making the, uh, the parity for the game just completely out of whack. But at the same time, you know, the, the big thing with – for the kids is having the best opportunity to succeed and advance, you know, whether that's athletically or academically. And quite frankly, certain schools and certain coaches give the effort and give the, uh, you know, the feeling that you can get there and succeed. Whereas other programs have had so, so much turnover that it makes it hard to trust. You know, there was an article that, uh, the, the Daytona beach news or not, I don't know if it was yours or not. Uh, Chris, but I read recently about the two kids transferring. One's transferring to the IMG Academy. The other one's transferring, I believe, to Atlantic from Spruce Creek. Um, I, I, I immediately chimed in and said I'm completely against that. Um, and the reason I'm against it is because, you know, growing up in Daytona Beach, there, it, it was you had – pride was the thing that you, you lived on. If you went to mainland – you wanted to beat Seabreeze. If you went to Seabreeze, you wanted to beat Mainland. There was no slip swap. We're going to go here and stack a school and come back and beat everybody. You went to where you went. You played, and that meant something back then. Now you got a kid in high school who's saying he's making a decision what's best for me. You're, you're, you're 16 and 17, and they're already making decisions what's best for them. I completely disagree with this transfer thing. I, I, I don't think it should be allowed at all. I think it ruins the camaraderie of, of – of high school athletes. I think it totally demeans and diminishes the, the team aspect of the game. When you got a kid who can leave just because they want to go play it at mainland or just wants to go play at Spruce Creek now, or wants to go to the IMG Academy. I mean, how many kids go out of the year from this area that go to division one schools? They don't need to go to any other school. They can stay at Spruce Creek. They can stay at New Smyrna and they can have pride in their school. So I've been very vocal about being, very against it, and it sounds like you're not a big fan of that transfer situation as well, but I will continue to support my claims that I think it's wrong and I don't think they should allow it. I think a kid should go to school and be proud to be at Spruce Creek, and if you know if the team's having a down year, then they're having a down year. That's the but you know, you don't transfer to mainland just because you want to win some games. Right, well, here's the, pro- here's the problem, is that the the, the state legislature has essentially allowed this and signed it into law that these ki- the kids can can freely go as long as the school is under capacity uh, and can accept you know and and can provide transportation on a day to day basis that you can you know you can go to whatever school you feel like 
and again, the, the the counterpoint in this is the situation, for instance, in uh, uh, at Pine Ridge where they had three head coaching changes in a four-year time span. You know, when you have that much turnover, it's hard for it's hard to, for as a kid to really buy into anything, and to feel like the the people uh, that are in charge of maybe helping this kid along in the future are doing the best things for him. You know, it, it, yes, it's individualistic, and but that's kind of the culture we've created. Unfortunately, you know, there's not much slowing that down. So we can we can argue until the cows come home that civic pride and that school pride is you know should mean something. And to me, it always did when I went to Oviedo High School, and we hardly ever had guys leave. Uh, you know, if they, if they left, they were they were public enemy number one. But at the same time, the evolution of the game and 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 the way that you know you know things have changed. You have to be a little bit open-minded to it, too, and understand that these kids are trying to get to college. These kids are trying to, you know, do what, what they really believe in their heart of hearts is best for them. And, you know, that's just kind of the way the system is seemingly played out. And, again, it's, it's part of – it's all become legal with the – you know, as long as there's not proof of recruiting violations, everything is pretty much by the books at this point as far as the state's concerned. No, that, that's a great answer. And I think that looking at the the laws, I think we know that, you know, a lot of these schools have, have lobbyists such as IMG and Villages Academy that help get these laws changed. But like you said, at this point, it is what it is, and the players need to do what they need to do as best for them. Looking forward to next year, do you have any um, thoughts on, on some local kids that, that uh, have a shot to uh, to sign, you know, at the uh, high Division one level? I'll tell you this, the 2019 signing class for Volusia Flagler has a chance to be among the better classes in recent memory. You know, it's hard to see until the spring kind of comes down what's going to happen. You know, you look at a, a kid like Adonis Boone, for instance, who is, uh, you know, didn't really have any offers, and John Huggins. Neither of those kids really had any offers until the spring of this year, and they all of a sudden became three, four-star recruits, you know, 20, 30 offers. So it's hard to say, but, but to me – you know, Flagler Palm Coast has a great junior class. You've got Nelson Paul, our defensive player of the year, who had 18 sacks, is a six foot one, 210 pound linebacker. You've got Dennis Shorter, a very versatile defensive back, uh, can play safety or corner. Uh, already has interest from Buffalo, by the sounds of it. Um, you've got Talon Coates, a middle linebacker, was a first team choice for us. And then you've got at other schools across the county, um, Mainland has an offensive tackle in Travis Robinson at 6'5", 325 pounds, who already has offers from Florida, Louisville, and Florida Atlantic. A linebacker in DeMars Bellamy who's got about uh, 8 to 10 offers, uh, has been a leader for that team. You've got Jaleel McCray, who will still count in this county, even though he'll uh, supposedly be at ING next year. Uh, a new Smyrna kid is going to be – you know, he's going to have plenty of opportunities once he gets there. He's already got a top five that includes UCF, North Carolina, LSU, Florida, and Georgia among among the schools he's already considering. And then you've got Deland. Deland has got a receiver in Deontay Marks, so I think he's going to be potentially the next breakout kid. He ran a 4-3, I think it was a 4-3-8 in the 40-yard dash down at a camp in Florida Atlantic. Um, had offers from them and Bethune-Cookman. And I think once now that there's tape on him and he was productive this year, I think once those things add up, that he's going to have a potential, a potentially big spring uh, this coming season. And that uh, the same goes potentially for Father Lopez's uh, AJ Jackson, six uh, three, two hundred, about six three hundred and ninety pound athlete, 
plays wide receiver, defensive back, scored 15 touchdowns in six games. So now that there's some tape on him, and as long as his grades are in order, I think he's going to be a kid with his vertical ability at uh, over 38 inches. It could be a very interesting kid um, here in the spring. Chris, we have a lot of talent in the county area, which is obvious uh, from from time to time. Um, you know, next, I believe in two weeks, January 12th to the 14th, we have the uh, the Tropical Bowl uh, here in Daytona Beach, which the Spiral Tropical Bowl, which comes down now, I think a couple of years now. And uh, we actually have two local kids playing, uh, Kali Williams mm-hmm. from the Citadel and Charles Nelson from Oregon uh, playing in that game. Um, I think it's great that, you know, we can get guys, or excuse me, get a game first and foremost, an all-star game to the, to the city of Daytona Beach to give these kids an opportunity to get in front of scouts. And a lot of more and more. Um, so what is your take on that game, and do you know much about it, and and do you think it's great that we got local kids playing in that kind of an uh, opportunity? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a little, you know, it's got a small history. Uh, you know, this will be the second year it's going to be in Daytona. They were they were there last year. You know, it's a lot of guys kind of looking for an opportunity to, to, to get out there and get in front of scouts, like you mentioned. Um, yeah, I mean, for, for the kids that are from here, for an opportunity to have a game in their own backyard, if they're not going to be invited to the Senior Bowl or the East-West Shrine game, yeah, any opportunity to get yourself out there and, and get noticed by somebody is going to help your case. I I really believe in Charles Nelson as, as a, uh, a guy that's going to crack at least a practice squad next year. Uh, he's he's a kid that I think when you when you look at it, uh, who runs under under a 4-4 in the 40, who's played offense and defense at Oregon. He's a starter in the, at safety and was a four-year starter or four-year contributor, wide receiver, uh, is a return specialist. So I think at, at any point he could play, he could be a defensive back for you, he can be a wide receiver for you, he's fast, he's, he can be a gunner on special teams since he can tackle, he can be a return man. I think he's, he's one of those guys that just has a number of different roles and even though he's undersized, listed about 5'9", 170, I think he can really find a way just because of how fast he is and how versatile he is. He could find a way uh, onto somebody's radar. Kylie had a really great career at the Citadel, was the uh, Southern Conference Defensive Player of the Year last year, uh, kind of a tackling machine, a playmaker at the back end. It would be a good opportunity for him to maybe get up against some kids from bigger programs that have a little bit more pedigree. Uh, but I do think that you know, he's more of a long shot to get to get out of you know to get a chance in a camp. Yeah, I had Charles. I had Charles on the show last week. I said, I said it's like signing, it's like signing five guys to your roster. I mean, like you said, he can he can play receiver, he can play DB, he can return kick and kicks and punts, and he plays on all special teams. Literally, um, five nine. Although in the height, is a little bit, <laughs> it's a little bit generous. <laughs> I think he's a close right. closer to five eight. Um, but you know you can't deny a guy who's going to run like you said sub four four. Um, you just can't deny that kind of athleticism. And I, and I too think he's going to get a shot. Um, I think Kali will get a shot actually as well. I mean he was the 2016 so I'm defensive player uh, and a two time first team All Conference guy. Um, I think, think a guy like just needs an opportunity to get in front of some guys. But he may be sitting um, sitting pretty at a, at a game like the uh, like the, at the Tropical Bowl where he can get an opportunity to showcase his skills. Um, but, but, yeah, I, I, I agree. I want to tell you, 
coming on the show, man. We'd love to have you anytime. Uh, we've kept you on for quite a while, man, so we want to let you go. I know you probably have a busy night. Uh, but, again, Chris Boyle, Daytona Beach News Journal. Uh, uh, Chris, if you want to announce your Twitter handle, so we can – I think it's uh, at Chris Boyle, DBNJ. If anybody's interested in following Chris, he's got a lot of knowledge when it comes to high school sports and college recruiting. Again, that's at Chris mm-hmm. Boyle, DBNJ on Twitter. Uh, Chris, anytime you want to come back and talk to me, we'd love to have uh, We're actually from the track field in New Smyrna. So if you're out, we'd love to be on and talk, talk to some of guys uh, and talk about some of the guys. Yeah. yeah, it sounds great. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, and you guys have a wonderful night. Thanks a lot. Merry Thanks, Christmas. Chris. Congratulations on your newborn. Thank you. Appreciate it. He he's he's uh, um unbelievable what's going on around today. Well, on here at the time this works We call in here shortly. The tropical bowl we just mentioned with Chris Boyle. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna see these talking about uh, any minute here. Uh, so uh, and I that was school. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Yes, that, that is accurate. The 16th Citadel. Williams coming on and. Uh, uh, shortly, I didn't even know the Citadel back then had a football program. I thought it was a medical school, and then I find out the Citadel is actually a, a place where you can go and play football, which is great. The, the Citadel? The Citadel is a military academy, but they also have football states in South Carolina. I don't know if Sully has a military or not, but, you know, we'll Yeah, we'll talk to Ali when he gives us a call here shortly. We'll find out uh, find out about his background. All right, we're going to go to a commercial real quick before colleague calls. Uh, give us about a few minutes. And uh, we'll be right back. With- Reluctantly crouched at the starting line. Engines pumping and thumping in time. The green light flashes. The flags go up. Churning and burning, they yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Fuel burning fast on an empty tank. Reckless and wild, they pour through the turns. Their prowess is potent and secretly stern. As they speed through the finish, the flags go down. The fans get up and they get out of town. The arena is empty except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he can. The sun has gone down and the moon has come up. And long ago somebody left with the cup.
And welcome back here to the Three and Out Show. I'm your host, Sammy G, as always with the Doc. Uh, Call-in number is uh, 657-383-1684. Again, 657-383-1684. We're going to be joined with Kali Williams here of the Citadel shortly. And, uh, you know, we just got off the phone with Chris Boyle, and Chris was talking to us about the recruiting and, and, and the kids in this area. Uh, just goes to show that in Volusia County, we have a ton of guys uh, in this area that can go play at the high level at Division One schools around the country. So, you know, Daytona Beach, Volusia County itself uh, is a hotbed for, for, for high school athletics, and we got guys going in left and right. Uh, to multiple multiple universities, Division One universities across the country. Uh, but you know what we're going to do now is, you know, we're going to talk to Kali Williams, who uh, who's played in the Southern Conference uh, and uh, was the 2016 Defensive Player of the Year, uh, Conference Player of the Year, and also a first team uh, defensive back um, in 2016 and this year 2017. In fact, Kali Williams gets so much respect. Uh, in his conference that I believe he missed three games this year and uh, he was still a unanimous first team, first team uh, uh, selection. Uh, Doc, uh, you know, when it comes to being a conference player and going to one of these all-star games, don't you think that that has some, some weight and helps you uh, yourself uh, just a little bit more when you got an accolade like conference defensive conference player of the year? Yeah. Yeah. No question. No matter what conference you play in or, what what level you're at, what division you're you're in, you know, getting an accolade like that shows that that you're you know, at the top of your game and that wherever you are, and and I think that that um you know I think get some recognition. I think the kid young kid, young man's gonna have a chance to come to the top of the ball, put on a show, and uh, potentially get 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 an opportunity on a professional level. Um, you know, you 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 are a scout, so you you follow these guys. What are your thoughts on on his? Chances. I know you're you're very high on them, and I know you've scattered them some. Well, I mean, like you said, you know, this guy's a conference player, first team All Conference guy, defensive conference player of the year. He's got good size at five eleven. Uh, he can run. Uh, I, I know him from. I believe he was a Seabreeze High School uh, player that transferred to uh, Mainland High School, uh, which seems to be a a little bit of a theme in this area for some reason. Everybody wants to go play at Mainland. Um, but, you know, Kyle comes from great pedigree. He had a cousin who's actually named Ja'Kai Polite, uh, who plays at uh, the University of Florida, who's winning as a true freshman has been playing. Um, so, I mean, he, he's got a very, very good pedigree. He's got an uncle uh, named Lawrence Martin, who was a uh, offensive lineman at the University, University of South Florida. So he comes from a long line of, of athletes. Uh, and he's no different. You know, he's got an opportunity to come here to Daytona Beach, hometown. This would essentially be a home for him in here and uh, and get it moving. Uh, right now, though, we're going to bring Kali Williams in. Uh, Kali, are you with us? Yes, sir, I am. Kali, good to have you on. This is Sammy G, and I got the doc on with me as well. Thank you. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. Listen, man, we're going to jump right into it. We just finished up with uh, the early signing day period, and, I, you know, I had Charles Nelson on last week, and uh, I'll ask you the same question. Uh, do you remember Do you remember uh, your, your recruiting and your recruiting and going into college, and uh, can you tell us what that day meant to you when you were able to sign your letter of intent to go play at the Citadel? Yeah, 
Uh, it was um, it was a day of joy actually. Um, I was um, I didn't sign on signing day, so it was, and I signed a little later, so I was like trying to get into school, what school I'm gonna go to, and all them things. Nervous, scared, and and they offered me, and I just took it, and I was happy. Holy, hey, it's a doc here. Um, I know you're probably training now. You have a tropical bowl here coming up in a few weeks, I believe. Um, so tell us what, what you're up to. Or are you uh, are you in town? Are you training somewhere else? Well, what's your story right now? Uh, yeah, I'm in town right now. I'm home for Chris, uh, Christmas break. So, yeah, doing a little workouts here. And uh, I actually got to go back to school because I finish in May. So, well, I'm just uh, – I'm just trying to get ready to play my next game, actually. Khalid, uh, we know that uh, you come from a long line and a big degree of athletes. We just mentioned your cousin, Ja'Kai Polite. And, uh, we also mentioned, your, your, I believe, your ne- uh, your uncle, Lawrence Martin, um, played at USF. You know, you have a long lineage of athletes in your family. And... Um, Tell us a little bit about how Could you repeat that? You're breaking me. You cut out. Yeah, I was saying, you know, you come from a long line and long pedigree of athletes in your in your uh, family. Uh, your cousin, University of Florida. So, can you tell us? Can you tell us how playing with those guys and and growing up in that pedigree of family helped you prepare for where you're at right now? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, we're a competitive family. We um we always do stuff together against each other, with each other. We're just so competitive. We push each other. We always think we're the best. Uh-huh. Really, we don't know who's really the best. We just we just go out there. We just do it. We try to show each other we're better than the other person. Sometimes. Um, one person might win or the other person. I mean, it just all depends. We just, we've always been doing things with and against each other our whole life. So it kind of pushed us to be better at, and become better as we grow. Hello, it's the doc here. Um, so coming out of the Citadel, I know it's got a, it's a military background, but tell our listeners, do you have a, a military commitment, or is that not a requirement from the Citadel? Um, no, it's not a requirement. It's um, it has all the branches, and so people can choose if they want to go or if they don't want to go. Uh, how was that navigating being a, a you know a high level football player, but having to deal with all the um, the added responsibility of being in basically a military uh, a military school? Uh, it's 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 kind of tough because like, you know, I don't, you gotta do stuff. We we have time things to do. We gotta wake up. We got PT. We got formation. We gotta be the class, and we gotta do all this other stuff on top of doing football stuff. So, and that's and that's like uh, it it was, it was kind of hard, but it, it teaches you discipline. You gotta do the right thing, and and just it just made sure you you. You're doing what you're supposed to do. Kali, you were a player of the year in your conference, uh, and I believe you're the first uh, Bulldog named the media SOCOM defensive player of the year since 1986. Um, 
first team all Southern Conference two years in a row as well. Um, talk about that season in, as a junior and, and also talk about how it prepared you for your senior year. Uh, it, it was um, it was a very interesting year. Um, uh, really, um, knowing thing I was, uh, no one knew I would have the uh, year I would have. Uh, just when the plays came to me, I just I just made them, and I made I made actually some spectacular, extraordinary plays that you know some people might not have been able to do it. So that kind of Sometimes it surprised me, like, you know, how did I do that? And, you know, I was like, oh, now I know I can do it so I can, you know, I can use it as a tool. And so being able to do that and and figuring out things, it it helped me to learn and grow. And and basically it it put me in a situation of my senior year where uh, I just – I didn't have to do anything. I just had to maintain, but on top of that, I was able to get better. For me personally, I mentioned earlier in the that although you believe you missed some games, I think you did play three games, right? Could you repeat that, please? I said. I missed a few games due to uh, I pulled my hamstring, and so it caused me to miss a few ga- uh my last few games towards the end, and uh, it, it uh, put it put me back a little bit. But um, I'm pretty sure the man above has has a plan for me. Yeah, and the reason I was mentioning that is because even though you missed some games, you were still a first team All Conference fan, which shows that you had a lot of respect in the conference, um, and that that goes a long way. Could you repeat that? Oh, could you, could, yeah, hey, it's the doctor. I, I think Sammy's having some uh, Wi-Fi issues. He was asking, you know, uh, that's really impressive that you, yeah, I think you had some injuries, you missed some time this season, but yet you were still able to make all conference. And, and he was kind of asking, you know, uh, yeah, how did you attribute to missing time but still being that successful, you know, did, you know, working through those injuries and having to put those things behind you? Well, I just um I just only missed like two uh three or four games so it wasn't it wasn't like I missed half the season. I played most of the games so I was able I was still able to produce and and, and keep my name so I mean it's just and I I mean I, uh, a lot of teams had the game plan against me and for me so and I I guess that 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 had a part to do with it. So, you know, Zoe, you have the uh, Tropical Bowl here coming up in uh, the next few weeks. It's obviously in your hometown. That's going to be fun to let your family come and experience that. Uh, what are your thoughts on that that game and, and that time? And, and, and have you had some contact with some scouts over the last few weeks? And, and kind of what are your plans over the next few weeks moving forward, uh, going up towards the, uh, the draft, obviously, and, and things beyond that? Um, I'm actually happy to be playing back in the hometown one more time, uh, you know, because um, probably not even going to be able to do it again. Uh, and I'm just, 
gone. I'm just trying to get some scouts to look at me and and try to get an agent, and we're just going to see from there. Hey, go ahead. I think Danny's Mike's having some some bad technical difficulties, so we're gonna let you go. Well, I'm excited to watch you perform here and uh, in Daytona. I hope that all of our listeners please come out to what's the name called? To Municipal Stadium, the top of the bowl. Check out Kalia and Charles Nelson, and uh, really excited. Looking forward to. It. Thanks for being with us. All right, thank you. All right, buddy. Take care now. All right, you too. Hey, we're going to go to commercial. Once again, we are broadcasting live from Hooligan Sports Pub, Speedway, Daytona Beach, 1725 West International Speedway Boulevard. That's 1725 West International Speedway Boulevard, Daytona Beach, Go to their website, www.wallywings.com. They have the best wings this side of the state of New York, uh, www.wallywings.com. Please, uh, we're going to do a commercial here. Be back shortly. Now... 
And we're back here at the Three and Out Show, live from Hooligans Sports Bar. Uh, this is your host, Sammy G. And uh, we're going to bring in now uh, Tasso Kiriakis, the owner of Bodies by Tasso, um, with local Jim here who's been servicing this area in Volusia County for, for over 30 years. Tasso, what's it been, 30 years now? 40 years? Starting our 32nd year this year. I've been in the business for 40 years. Great. Wow. So Tasso, just to give you a little bit of background, I was a when my brother went through high school here. Uh, Tasso was a local athlete, went to Father Lopez High School, uh, was a, an established wrestler, went to Tampa University, where he actually wrestled uh, the Steiner brothers, or one of the Steiners, I believe, in Tampa. Is that correct? Uh, it, was, it was in uh, the Midlands. My uh, the year after I graduated, he was a freshman, Rick Steiner. There you go. And then I believe, and this is just a, I don't know if this is an urban legend or a myth, but I thought, so were you an alternate on the 80 Olympic wrestling team? No, I was, I was in the Olympic trials in uh, 76, 80, 84, and 88. Uh, made it to the national camp twice, but never, never got into any uh, position to be an alternate. <laughs> awesome. Well, when I was a kid and my brother was going through high school, Tasso was always on the sideline working on the guys, and he was just a guy that was there helping guys out with injuries. And Tasso used to run up and down. Doc, I don't know if you ever heard this story, but Tasso would run up and down the sidelines, headbutting all the guys. And before every game at Father Lopez, Tasso would run around, and he was the bloodiest guy on the field. He was split. His forehead was split, and he was just giving everyone – he was actually giving concussions, and then – and working on the probably uh, working on the concussions after it, so it was a pretty interesting dynamic. Uh, but, but but definitely. But hey, Toss, I know that we got you on here, and we want to talk about uh, some some preventative issues and the concussion issues, and obviously uh, and obviously some of the uh, 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 excuse me, some of the uh, neck issues that are going on. And uh, Doc, I'm glad that we have you on here too, because you and Tasso can have a a pretty uh, informative conversation when it comes to it. But, Todd, tell us a little bit about what's going on nowadays with these neck injuries in, in sports, especially in football, uh, college, and professional. Well, you know, the, all the leagues, the NCAA, the NFL, they all make a conscious effort now to have concussion protocols and to, and to watch these kids and make sure that they uh, they don't have the injuries because of the plays that go on in the field. You know, that it's, it's you know, I forget who said it, but it's, uh, you know, it's not a contact sport, it's a collision sport. And every time you have that, you can have the risk of injury. A running back drops his head, a guy gets off balance and falls, and you see it every day. So, you know, preparing your athletes, I think, is the best thing you can do from that standpoint. I think one of the most overlooked things is the training of the neck. You know, um, if this were such a big issue and we were really going to try and legislate something, I thought there would be a greater effort on the collegiate level, especially, to uh, to strengthen the strength training the neck. But you know, when I went to the when I went to uh, the Tampa Buccaneers to help a guy, a friend of mine, Marcus Sander, to train the Bucks back when Tony Dungy was there, he drove the, the point home very well. When you walked in the in the door, there was a picture of uh, of Allscott, Allscott going over the over the, the pile at the goal line and landing on his head, and uh, and underneath it, the captain said, "This is why we train neck," and and it was an integral part of their their regiment to train the neck, but. What we see is, and I don't know what the statistics are in the NFL because I haven't gotten them back from Mark, but 66% of the Division One programs in this country do not have a neck machine in the protocol. And it's fine, you know, it's fine to do manual neck machine and neck training exercise, which all of us went through when we were in high school. But the real reality of it is, is 
one of the keys to building strength is progressive resistance to get the neck stronger. So doing these isometric exercises like these kids do is maybe great for range of motion, maybe a starter to warm up the neck for a game. But really, if you want to be a most efficient strength trainer, you really want your combinations of exercises to train that muscle sleeve that supports the neck. Yeah, uh, top of the talk here, that, 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 those are great points, and I think that's a, a good <clears throat> good reference using Allstott, who obviously his career ended uh, with, with neck problems. I think he had a fusion uh, after after his career. Um, but certainly we, we've seen, to some extent, a decrease in the catastrophic neck injuries, but they still happen nonetheless. You saw, um, you know, you had the guy from the Bills, Kevin Everett, about six, seven years ago. Obviously, we saw poor, poor tackling form of Ryan Shazier, who, who likely – Seems to have some sort of paralysis, but um, yeah, I think your point is, is really important is, is that we, we've lost focus on the importance of the, the, the spinal stabilizers and, and, and focusing on that. So what, what recommendations do you have for the young athletes besides obviously good tackling form, but for, for focusing on that to minimize their risk of injury? Well, I think, I think it's important that every athlete that's training in context for a collision sport like football even soccer, you know, Doc uh, has, has that knee and they're, they're running into each other. But the thing about it is, is that the, the velocity, the force is so much greater with the helmets on. So what, what we do in our, in our facility is any athlete who's playing football that we train, uh, or even our NASCAR racers that we train, their protocol is, is that at the beginning of the workout, when they first begin with us, we do a four-way neck machine. We follow it with shrugs. And then we will do at the end of the workout the static strength training that most programs uh, do typically. And, uh, you know, we, we do this because the University of Minnesota and Mayo Clinic ran a combined study that showed by increasing neck strength by 35% would reduce concussions in that state by 84% in the, in the two seasons when the study was done. And it was done at the high school level with over 600 athletes. So I think those are statistics that really warrant let's let's make it uh, be advocates of that doing things that are secondary muscle groups that support the neck things like lateral raises overhead presses they certainly help but you know what happens and you know this from being a powerlifter yourself in the past is a lot of the strength training that goes on in these high schools is about momentum and about form you know, the clean and jerk the snatch those exercises are ballistic exercises which really don't allow you all the time to isolate just on the neck. So I think you've got to have slow, purposeful movement. You've got to have full range of motion, and you've got to look at that muscular sleeve, and you've got to strengthen it from all four sides if, you, if possible. Once again, you're listening to the 3 and Out Show on Blog Talk Radio. Our call-in number, if you want to speak to the doc, or Tasso Kiriakis, the owner of Bodies by Tasso, in regard to any injury uh, prevention, uh, you can give us a call at 657-383-1684. Again, 657 383 one six eight four. Tasso, let me ask you. Uh, you know, in today's game now, these kids are unfortunately using their helmets and football as a weapon. And uh, w- w- what are some ways that we can actually prevent some of the neck injuries? Obviously, good form and good tackling is one of them. But what are some other ways that, and, and what are the ways that you think that we can help these kids today prevent the neck injuries? And we're seeing a lot of them nowadays. Just and, and I think it's because again they're using their helmets as weapons instead of just form tackling and doing their fundamentals correctly? Well, I think I think probably in answer to Doc's question, we hit a lot of that in, 
and strengthening the muscular sleeve around the neck, number one. Number two is the, the core exercise that I use is a four-way neck machine, which very few facilities have. And just a note you know, to your listeners, if they have mothers or grandmothers or, you know, aunts that they love, the number one machine I had in my facility when I opened it was I, I especially I had Nautilus make a special-made um, neck machine that started with three pounds as the lightest weight because for prevention of osteoporosis and osteoarthritis, and reduction of headaches in women who have who have sort of uh, docile jobs where they're not moving around, it, it has a tremendous increase in, in the, uh, the quality of health in that. And one of the worst things we have in society today is this forward head syndrome. If you sit in the mall, you look, people, are, their heads are lunged out in front of them. They have really poor posture, which affects their breathing there. So I, I'm going to go back to the fact of, number one, I think we hit the nail on the head. We, we don't use the head as a weapon. We use We use great form tackling. Uh, you see different different uh, advocacy for that now in the pop Warner leagues and and, uh, and pride leagues like that. The strengthening of it and then the flexibility of it, making sure that we are doing after game stretching exercises, stretch the scalenes, the sternocleidomastoid, and the levator scapular muscles, which are six of the six of the muscles that are integral to the support of the neck with the traps and the ones we typically think about it. I think other exercises that are involved are lateral raise. Exercises, front raise exercises, and, and along with the neck, and all of them being done in a slow, controlled movement, I think, is very important. Hey, Tasso, it's a doc here. So, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. No one's really looked at the role of, of the neck muscles in reducing the risk of concussion. We know that from the knee, for, for example, by strengthening the quads and the hamstrings, get some secondary protection of the joint through the, the muscles, kind of acting like secondary joint stabilizers are, are almost like secondary shock absorbers, but what are your thoughts? It'd be interesting to see if the symptoms of the concussion maybe are decreased in, the, in these athletes that actually have been training their, their neck muscles and help to absorb the impact to the head. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, there, there is there is a study I mentioned earlier that Mayo Clinic, University of Minnesota, and Mankato State did jointly with high school programs in the state of Minnesota under the direction of Mark Asanovich, the former strength coach for Tony Dungy, and in that, a 35% increase in strength, which is, means we're increasing the muscle mass and the cushioning that, that's the secondary support sleeve to the the, uh, the, the disc in that of the neck. Um, they showed an 84% reduction in concussions in that, in that, uh, under that protocol. Now, some of that's going to be attributed to good form, but the strength training certainly has. You know, I've, I've not had a major, major neck injury with one of my athletes that I've trained ever. Uh, I don't know if that's coincidental, but I've had guys that are in NASCAR and they're you know, they're running into walls and they're, they're turning some G's and they go in and take a pretty good shot before they had the Hans device. And, uh, and, and of course, we've had some athletes along the way when you guys were at Father Lopez, uh, Sammy and Billy was at San, Father Lopez, and uh, trained the kids from Seabreeze and Spruce Creek as well under Coach Rocky Yoakum. So uh, never really had a serious neck issue for those kids. Um, and and the unfortunate Seabreeze, they did have two kids that did have neck injuries previous to getting a neck machine, and one of the reasons they put a neck machine in their program over there was because of the David Muskin event when he uh, he hit the crown of his head on, on uh, doing a tackle on the kickoff and was paralyzed. Yeah, you know, one of the biggest ways to hurt yourself, obviously, is on the kickoff when you're running down there and just trying to blast through about five blockers uh, head first. We've seen most of the uh, the bigger injuries, I believe, uh, Gleason, um, Steve, uh, what was his name, Doc? Steve Gleason? Uh, the, Steve Gleason from uh, 
from uh, the New Orleans Saints. He was one of those guys that ran down on the kickoff and just was annihilated uh, and, and then unfortunately uh, wasn't able to ever to walk again. Um, but, you know, what we're teaching these kids now, and then we're seeing it more and more, that they're so undisciplined. And I wonder if that – does that go back to the coaches, uh, Tasso? Do you think that we need to educate our coaching staffs more on on the uh, the prevention of neck injury as well? Well, I think we do. I th- you know, um, uh, Kim Woods, the, um, for 35 years, the strength coach at Cincinnati Bengals, every June – where the guy named Jim Flanagan out of Orlando runs a neck neck awareness clinic in Cincinnati where he teaches the coaches how to strength train these kids in and out of season, uh, brings up the risk, brings uh, you know, strength coach from uh, Michigan State, Michigan in, and, uh, and they go through the whole protocol. But, you know, Sam, one of it is it is part of the game. I mean, look, look at Ryan Shazier of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Sort of a fluke little, didn't look like very much of, a, of an injury from the standpoint of you were just watching it. Uh, it wasn't one of those big hits that typically are associated with that injury, but just because of the way he compresses the neck when he hits it, uh, hits the guy, here he is, he's having to go through, uh, I, I believe it was decompression surgery, was it, Doc? Yeah, my, my understanding is he had a decompression, I think he had a fusion, so I think he had some ligamentous instability, and, and it never released exactly what, but uh, but some sort of cord injury that hopefully is uh, not, not a complete cord injury. Tasso, I have a uh, question here from one of, one of the co-producers, Sean. He would like to know um, how much does wrestling um, help offensive linemen in what they're doing and defensive linemen? Is wrestling a good uh, a good training method for for interior linemen, offensive and defensive? Absolutely, because you know wrestling is a lot of leverage. It's leverage and it's balance. It's moving people. It's learning to move people without just you know, if you take brute force and put good skill and balance together with it, but you know, uh, I I wrestled some of the heavier guys I wrestled were great at moving your moving your shoulders and then just taking your foot and knocking you off off your feet. So from the standpoint of understanding leverage and understanding balance, you know, linebackers um, learning learning to respond when people would shoot on them and getting their hips down and their feet back and then regaining their balance again so they could move quickly in a de- defensive posture. It protects their knees and it gets them moving. You look at some of the great linebackers, Curly Culp and these guys that were, you know, was a gold medalist in the Olympics as a, uh, and was a rest, was a wrestling gold medalist, a great linebacker in college and that. And you go right down through it. There's been several great wrestlers that were great football players, mostly linebacker and defensive end, but a lot of your offensive tackles, the footwork, the balance, because those guys uh, got to get that foot speed to react and, and, and move their hips. Once again, you're listening to Blog Talk Radio. This is a three-and-out show with the Doc and Sammy G. We're live with Tasso Kiriakis, the owner of Bodies by Tasso. Uh, you can find him at 1725. Uh, oh, that's actually, no, that's Hooligans. Excuse me. I was giving, <laughs> giving everyone the address of Hooligans. You can find Tasso. Tasso Hooligans right now. You can find Tasso Hooligans right now, but unfortunately, uh, if you want to find him to train, uh, you, you, whether you're a parent or a student athlete or a student, anyone is welcome at 1140 West Granada Boulevard uh, in Ormond Beach, Florida. Uh, you can find him there at Bodies by Tasso. Tasso, before we let you go, is there anything that you want to say uh, to the young athletes now that can help them or any tips you can give these kids uh, right now just to kind of give them an opportunity to maybe do some self-prevention uh, moving forward? Well, I think I think the, the first thing is, is – uh, 
not to get so engaged with yourself that uh, it's all about what you look like in the mirror. I think it's about understanding that you you have to work hard, you have to be disciplined, you have to stay smart, and it's not about how much you can bench press. It's about how much you can do throughout a game, working on the endurance, work on all aspects on it, work on your speed, work on your strength, work on your endurance. And I think uh, a lot of burst training with resistance, like we've uh, implemented our programs, helps rehabilitation. And it's not about staying in the gym. You know, a study at Penn State University was done, and they, uh, they trained their athletes for 90 minutes, but they had cameras, and they watched how, uh, how much time they had uh, actually on the bars doing their work. And the average time in a 90-minute session that athletes stayed in the weight room was 16 and a half minutes. So take your workout. Take those exercises, work it into an 18-minute workout, and take that extra time you save, study, and then go out and work on your skills because skill is specific. Strength and conditioning is general. We can take any athlete that has the same skills as another athlete, make him stronger and better endurance, and he's going to win every time. Well, thank you, Tasso. We appreciate all the information tonight. Again, that's Tasso Curiosity, the owner of Bobby's by Tasso. Uh, located at 1140 West Granada Boulevard. Tasso, anytime you want to come back on, we're going to be at the Tropical Bowl uh, in Daytona Beach on the 13th. We'd love to have you come and be a part of the show uh, and possibly talk to some of the kids about prevention of neck injury and concussion. Uh, if you're available, we'd love to have you back on for sure. Um, again, everybody, that's Tasso Kiriakis. Thanks again for being on the show, Tasso. We really appreciate it. Love it. Thank you. Thanks, Tasso. All right, guys. Well, that's going to conclude this show of uh, this episode of uh, Three and Out here with Sammy G and the Doc, live from Hooligans uh, in Daytona Beach, Florida. Hooligans, where I was given the address to bodies, but I'll give it to Hooligans at 1725 West International Speedway Boulevard in Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, Hooligans, home of the Wally Wing. Uh, you can find them at www.wallywings.com. Uh, tons of wings here, tons of specials. This location here has two private dining areas that for you to rent out one actually overlooks the speedway track um the speedway stands you can actually see into the speedway from here um great location we want to thank them for having us here and hosting us tonight uh well, first things we want to apologize for all the technical difficulties that we had uh tonight doc it was a, a little bit of a mess but we you know our listeners know that we will get that cleaned up and, and get that back to normal next week we want to thank our our uh our, our excuse me our guests uh, Chris Boyle from the Daytona Beach News Journal, uh, the sports writer and, and, in college and high school sports. Uh, we want to thank Kali Williams from the Citadel defensive back who will be playing in the Tropical Bowl in Daytona Beach, Florida on January the 14th uh, in uh, Daytona Beach, Florida at the Daytona Beach Municipal Stadium, Larry Kelly Field. And also we want to thank, again, Tasso Kiriakis, the owner of Bodies by Tasso, here uh, located in Norman Beach, Florida. Doc, go ahead. Yeah, no, thank thank you guys for uh, listening. Obviously, we'll, we'll uh, pick up early on. We're still new in this process, but thanks for bearing with us. Please check us out on Twitter at Free and Out Show, also out at Free and Out SG, and at the Doc underscore the number three and out. Please check us out. Give us a, a follow. Uh, we're going to keep kind of you know, kind of moving forward, doing more and more of these, uh, representing the state of Florida. Um, and, and really focusing on college football in our state. So thanks for listening. Definitely. Merry Christmas to everybody, and we look forward to being back with you guys next Tuesday uh, at 7 o'clock sharp, as always. 
and uh, the victory formation. We're going to take it out now with uh, with a little music here and make sure I fade it out for the battle. Yo, so we got to get this loot up. What is going son? Happy New Year, guys. Yeah. To all the killers and the hundred dollar billers. For real, because who ain't got no feelings? Check it out now. 